PenPod, internal medicine podcasts from the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. Hi, this is Kari Torp, and this is a PenPod on MAT, medication-assisted treatment. A big thank you goes to Dr. Rachel Truchill, who is my faculty reviewer for this subject, and who has recently started prescribing Suboxone at the Health Clinic Number 4 of Philadelphia. We will primarily be focusing on buprenorphine in this pen pod, as this medication allows for office-based prescribing, though we'll touch on methadone and naloxone for comparison. The primary source of information for this pen pod is derived from the PCSSMAT course, which is a collaborative effort led by the American Academy of Addiction Psychiatry. So just to start with a brief word on the history of opioid abuse in the United States. Physicians prescribed morphine freely in the late 1800s and early 1900s, and addiction was high during this period. The Harrison Act was passed in 1914, which prohibited prescribing morphine to, quote, addicts, end quote. Opioid prescriptions decreased drastically even in cases of severe pain because physicians could now be criminally prosecuted for violations of the Harrison Act. The first methadone clinics opened in 1974 to address the issue of addiction. The Data 2000 policy allowed for physicians to be waiver trained in prescribing drugs either for maintenance or detox. It is worth mentioning the bias which has existed in MAT prescribing. In an interesting opinion piece in the New England Journal of Medicine by David T. Courtright, he writes that methadone maintenance has been shown since the 1960s and 70s to resolve the debate of whether abstinence versus maintenance therapy is more beneficial in treating opiate abuse and firmly supports methadone maintenance. However, there continues to be moral and political reservations which are reflected in this policy. This then influences what Courtright calls, quote, tertiary prevention, end quote, or minimizing harm where opiate addiction is clear, where the key objective should be decreasing overdose deaths, injection drug use, and related infections, as well as medical and social issues, which may be difficult to achieve in the abstinence model. Courtright concludes that, quote, such policies defy the logic of longitudinal studies that consistently show recent abstinence to be a major risk factor for fatal opioid overdose. Loss of tolerance and overconfident judgment about dosage often kill relapsing opioid addicts, though not relapsing alcoholics or marijuana users who detoxify in a similar fashion. Indifference to this fact has contributed to the rise of fatal prescription opioid and heroin overdoses, end quote. We still see reflections of this bias in the hospital, where often we want to discharge a patient on methadone maintenance. However, we are unable to until they find a prescriber in the outside world who's able to continue these prescriptions. This is often very difficult to achieve. Additionally, certain inpatient rehab establishments often need patients to be fully detoxed before entering treatment, which seems nonsensical. Opioid use disorder is defined in the DSM-5 as a maladaptive pattern of substance use, leading to clinically significant impairment or distress as manifested by two or more of the following, 
occurring any time in the same 12-month period. 1. Recurrent substance use resulting in failure to fulfill major role obligations at work, school, or home. 2. Recurrent substance use in situations where it is physically hazardous. 3. Continued use despite having persistent or recurrent social or interpersonal problems caused by exacerbations of the effects. 4. Tolerance defined by either a need for markedly increased amounts of this substance to achieve intoxication or the desired effect, or markedly diminished effect with combined use of the same amount of substance. 5. Withdrawal as manifested by either the characteristic withdrawal syndrome for the substance or the same or closely related substance taken to relieve or avoid withdrawal symptoms. 6. The substance is often taken in larger amounts or over a longer period of time than was intended. 7. There is a persistent desire or unsuccessful efforts to cut down on controlled substance use. 8. A great deal of time is spent in activities necessary to obtain the substance, use the substance, or recover from its effects. 9. Important social, occupational, or recreational activities are given up or reduced because of substance use. 10. The substance use is continued despite knowledge of having a persistent or recurrent physical or psychological problem that is likely to have been caused or exacerbated by a substance. 11. Craving or a strong desire to use a specific substance. In terms of screening patients for MAT, a thorough history focusing on eliciting these components of the DSM-5 criteria should be conducted as well as screening for other comorbid psychiatric conditions before prescribing MAT. It is interesting that there is such a great deal of regulation on prescribing MAT, especially since at the end of residency, we can access our DEA and freely prescribe narcotics which lead to addiction without any additional training. It therefore seems counterintuitive that MAT prescriptions require certain training requirements to be satisfied. In terms of who can prescribe MAT, you must be a licensed qualifying physician, which means holding a subspecialty board certification in addiction psychiatry, an internal medicine certification, or American osteopathic certification. You must complete eight hours of buprenorphine training approved by the Department of HHS. You must affirm capacity to refer patients for appropriate counseling and other services needed to treat opioid addiction. You must register with SAMHSA and the DEA. You can have no more than 30 patients in year one, and you can increase to 100 patients per practitioner after year one of having waiver, but if undertaking a higher patient number, additional waiver may be necessary. In 2013, there was a change in regulations which allows opioid treatment programs to dispense buprenorphine in the office. Previously, buprenorphine was dispensed like methadone with restriction in take-home doses. In terms of options for MAT, there are buprenorphine, methadone, or naltrexone available. Just to touch on buprenorphine's mechanism of action, it's a Schedule III drug it is an opioid partial agonist. Buprenorphine has a stronger affinity for mu receptors than full agonists like heroin or morphine, 
and it will therefore displace these full agonists. Buprenorphine also dissociates from the receptor more slowly and therefore stays on the receptor for a longer period of time. In this way, buprenorphine decreases the effects of other opioids taken. However, buprenorphine does not fully activate mu receptors, even at high doses, so effects of other opioids are not completely eliminated if taken together. Due to this partial agonist mechanism of action and the ability of buprenorphine to displace other opioids, if taken before symptoms of withdrawal occur, buprenorphine can precipitate withdrawal. There are several different formulations of Suboxone, though not all can be used for MAT. There is a PO form and a seven-day transdermal patch, which is used for pain control purposes. However, these formulations are unable to be prescribed for the treatment of opioid dependence. The formulations available for opioid dependence treatment include sublingual forms, such as tablets and films. Similarly, these cannot be used for pain control purposes. Additionally, there is an implant form, which is currently in clinical trials, which would also be used for opioid maintenance therapy purposes. In terms of the formulation of Suboxone, it is a combination of buprenorphine and naloxone, which are combined together to decrease diversion. There is also a formulation which is not combination and instead pure buprenorphine, though this should be used with caution and more restricted for pregnant opioid addicted patients. Films are often preferable to tablets because efficacy relies on sublingual absorption. Tablets must be held under the tongue until they completely dissolve. Even the film will take five to seven minutes to dissolve. The taste can be preferable with films as compared with tablets. Additionally, tablets may be associated with substantial nausea in some patients, which may limit their compliance. There is a risk of diversion with buprenorphine. The medication is increasingly being diverted in the United States. When used in smaller doses, the risk of precipitated withdrawal is decreased. And for this reason, it is important not to give more than needed for the treatment of opioid addiction. The most likely diversion use, however, is for periodic control of full opioid agonist withdrawal among opioid abusers. Buprenorphine has a relatively favorable safety profile. It creates a ceiling effect and in this way can protect against overdose when taken on its own. It also has a lower risk of arrhythmia when compared to methadone due to the long QT effect of methadone. So how does buprenorphine compare to other MAT in terms of efficacy? Outpatient clinical trials comparing buprenorphine to methadone to placebo show that 1. Buprenorphine is more effective than placebo. 2. It is equally effective as moderate doses of methadone, defined as less than 60 mg per day in terms of treatment retention. In one study by Stein et al., 59% of participants were retained in the treatment arm at 6 months.
higher methadone doses defined as greater than 60 milligrams per day may achieve a retention of up to 80%. Other comparisons to think about when comparing buprenorphine and methadone. Buprenorphine is less regulated and can be used in office-based treatments. Methadone requires specialized centers for dispersing. In terms of side effects, buprenorphine has fewer and the risk of overdose is substantially reduced. However, precipitated withdrawal is a concern. For methadone, a relatively high dose is needed to induce tolerance and side effects are comparable, more comparable to other opioids and include more sedation. In terms of withdrawal from treatment, Given a partial agonist nature of buprenorphine, there is much less discomfort with withdrawing from buprenorphine as compared with withdrawing from more methadone. Buprenorphine has far fewer drug interactions, the big interactions being with the HIV medication, atazanavir, and rifampin has also been associated with precipitated withdrawal. Interactions are much more common with methadone and include interactions with HIV meds, tuberculosis meds, and some anticonvulsants. Clearly, other CNS depressants like benzos should be avoided in both treatment groups. Additional consideration in certain medication, medical conditions with buprenorphine include HIV, may be easier to use buprenorphine than methadone because of far fewer side effects with antiretroviral therapy as mentioned. If a patient has hepatitis and impaired liver function, methadone or buprenorphine is not contraindicated on the basis of mildly elevated liver enzymes. However, if liver enzymes are greater than three times the upper limit of normal, additional, additional monitoring should occur. Active hepatitis should first be treated and etiology should be determined and treated. Both medications need to be used cautiously with seizure disorders. When used with barbiturates and other AEDs such as Dilantin, metabolisms of both drugs may be compromised. Finally, methadone has been the standard of care for opioid-dependent pregnant patients. However, buprenorphine may be associated with less frequent neonatal abstinence syndrome. So, to review how to induce patients. For patients dependent on short-acting opiates like heroin or oxycodone, patients should not use opiates for 12 hours prior to induction in order for the patient to be experiencing mild to moderate withdrawal at the time of dosing. This will require a cow score of greater than 8 in order to avoid precipitating withdrawal. I would favor more objective measurements of withdrawal because like Siwa, many of the cow's categories are self-reported. Objective measures include resting pulse rate, sweating, restlessness observed, pupil size, runny nose or tearing, goose flesh skin, yawning, and tremor. Subjective categories include bone or joint aches, anxiety or irritability, and GI upset. It is a bit more difficult if transitioning from methadone to buprenorphine given the longer half-life of methadone. 
and requires reducing to 30 to 40 milligrams per day for at least one to two weeks and abstaining for at least 36 hours prior to buprenorphine dosing given the long half-life. Once a patient is experiencing withdrawal and has a CAL score greater than 8, the first dose of 4 mg Suboxone tablets should be given, and the patient should be monitored for 1-2 to two hours after the first dose. If withdrawal is not relieved, a second 8 mg dose should follow. If withdrawal worsens after dosing, then the patient is in precipitated withdrawal and the greatest severity of symptoms will occur in the first one to four hours. If precipitated withdrawal occurs, there are two strategies that can be employed. Firstly, you can consider giving another dose in order to increase the agonist effect, or the patient can be treated symptomatically and asked to return the next day. Unfortunately, the symptoms can be so severe that often this requires ED treatment and patient is not quite likely to return the next day. In order to determine the stable dose, patient needs to achieve a steady state of the drug for at least five to seven days before dose should be increased. The FDA recommends the upper dose of 24 milligrams daily with most patients requiring 12 to 16 milligrams per day. Again, if the patient receives more than necessary, it will give a supply for diversion. Often the question is asked of how long a patient should stay on MAT. There is no clear data for the length of treatment. However, a patient should continue treatment as long as they are continuing to derive benefit. If they de desire to be on no treatment, treatment will need to be tapered. Patient may not experience symptoms of withdrawal from buprenorphine until two to three days after the last dose of the drug. Withdrawal symptoms may include insomnia, anxiety, and myalgias. Medications can sometimes help with these withdrawal symptoms, including clonidine, clomazepam, zolpidem, or trazodone. This concludes the PenPod on medication-assisted therapy. Thanks for listening.